With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. Uh, I'm happy to be joined today and hopefully have a, a very intriguing conversation for our listeners. I know it's something I've thought a lot about as a golfer um, in terms of how to improve my performance uh, when I was playing competitive golf in high school, but but now that I, I have a few opportunities to play with buddies in some uh, semi-serious matches, how can I gain an edge and, and keep my composure? But anyways, I am joined by Dr. Gio Valianti. He is a performance psychologist. He's one of the most successful uh, in his field working with professional golfers. I know he's worked with major champions and, and go on his website. You see he's worked with uh, all three of the guys who are on the medal stand at the Rio Olympics, for instance, up to names like Jack Nicklaus, um, as well as C-suite executives and, and head football coaches. Uh, he's, he's helped a lot of people win championships, and I want to figure out how he did that. But uh, Gio, thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you, Al. Very excited to be here with you this morning. Can you briefly you know, give us a, an idea of your background, um, what it is you do as a performance psychologist, and how you came to be a psychologist in this field? Yeah, sure. No, I was, uh, I was at the University of Florida for two degrees. And while I was there, it was while Steve Spurrier was the head coach of the Florida Gators. And, you know, we were all crazed football fans at the time. Danny Werfel was the quarterback uh, winning all those SEC championships. And what I learned very quickly is Danny was not the best athlete on the field, but he certainly was the smartest. And, and Steve Spurrier used to sing his accolades, but everything he would say about Danny was the decision-making and the consistency and it really got me interested in the mental side of sports in general. And so when I went to Emory University to get a PhD and I was studying social cognitive theory, you know, I started making notes because I wasn't, I wasn't in a sports psychology program right at Emory, but I was making connections between social cognitive theory, which was the, pretty much the dominant theory in psychology for 25 years. And, and to this day, probably the most explanatory and predictive of the theories. And, and I started applying it to golf because I grew up playing golf. My dad grew up playing golf. And, and so I started writing thought pieces. And, and what happened was I did a psychological profile of Jack Nicholas while I was a graduate student at Emory. And somebody photocopied it and, and gave it to Davis Love III. Well, Davis read it and he went out and took the first round lead at the Masters. And he credited me or the piece that he had read. I never had never met Davis at the time. And so begat my relationship with coffers who wanted to learn more about psychology and uh, sports psychology or the psychology I was delving into. And then what happened was results started happening very, very quickly, such that as I was applying social cognitive theory and, and talking to golfers, I mean, they were, they were getting better quickly. And it, it even blew me away. It was you know, I, I, it wasn't by design. I was just a, a bit of an academic, you know, nerd geeking out on these ideas, but the power of them started transforming the scoreboard pretty quickly. 
uh, to the tune of, you know, about, about 50 professional wins over the last 20 years with, with golfers on the PGA and LPGA tour. So it's, it was a fascinating thing to go through as an academic, that, that theory, that ideas, you know, when you apply them to, to people in real life, they work and, and you can change the scoreboard. It's amazing, you know, particular in golf, you talk about how the game is played between the ears, right? It's almost cliche when people say that, but uh, it seems like your work directly translates into success with your clients. Um, and just as a side note, I actually, I worked with Coach Spurrier for a, a startup football team called the Orlando Apollos. This was before oh, I, yeah. I started with Lynx. Um, I was his communications director and um, got to, to see inside his world a little bit and, and actually met Danny Werfel as well. And he's such an inspirational guy too. So that is a, a nice root system to, to grow your career from working with those two guys for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so on that note, it's interesting, you know, we, we're all coming off of, you know, Phil Mickelson's historic win at the PGA championship. And when you read his interviews or you go back and listen to his interviews, it's a win for psychology. I mean, he, he, when he talks about how he did what he did, nowhere in there is he talking about a swing change, really. Nowhere, he talks about his physical transformation, his diet, but, but the, the bulk of what he talks about is having a picture for each shot, um, meditating, being present for each shot, having belief uh, that he could do this even in the face of, of not having results. Um, but when you hear him say, and I quote, I felt I had a very clear picture on every shot. I just need to keep that picture a few more times. And he talked about staying focused and sharp. I mean, the whole thing is, um, you know, about being present. He talks about being present. I mean, it literally fills when is puts psychology front and center in the golf dialogue. It really should. If it doesn't, then it should. You're absolutely right. And I know I, there was one particular quote. He said that, um, you know, he knew he could do this, but up until it was actually happening or when it was actually happening, he's like, I can't believe it's actually happening, but right, it, right. it goes back to that foundation of him believing and visualizing that being in that position. Then once it's happening, you're right. It's all about being present and, and making sure that, you know, one shot at a time and, and move forward. And then all of a sudden you're on the 72nd hole and putting into become the oldest major champion of all time. Um, it's just, and that's characteristic of, you know, what we call a flow state, you know, what, what a lot of people refer to as being quote unquote in the zone. And we call them in psychology, we call them flow states and flow states are characterized by the fact that you're so deeply immersed in the present moment that you lose track of time, that you, you, you have hyper focus and awareness. So for example, when Tiger Woods won the, I think it was the, I forget which, which masters it was, but he talks about being on the 72nd hole and he makes his putt and he picks his ball up out of the cup and he starts walking to the next hole until he realizes, oh, wait, I don't have any more holes left to play. I just won the masters. And so, you know, getting golfers to be in the present, you know, to, to get triggered into a flow state is, is really the goal of, of the work of people uh, like me and my colleague, Ina, Ina Kim Shad. I'm sure it's easier said than done. Just going back originally to um, when you started and, and when you started studying social cognitive theory, can you briefly um, explain to our audience what 
uh, SCT, social cognitive theory, is? Right. So it's it's sort of a comprehensive view of human functioning that that really pivoted off of the old behavioral paradigms. But the most important part of social cognitive theory, as it applies to athletes, has to do with a concept called self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is is essentially operationalized confidence. Now, forever, going back to Alexander Dumas and the Three Musketeers saying, a man who doubts himself is like someone who joined the ranks of his enemies, right? That we know that self-doubt is a killer for performance and that confidence matters. But up until, you know, social cognitive theory and, and, and Albert Bandura, the pioneer, started talking about measuring and assessing what's called self-efficacy, like, which, like I said, is operationalized confidence. So we learned how to define confidence. We learned how to measure it. We learned what it was and what it was not. For example, the difference between self-concept, which is how a person views himself, self-esteem, which is how we feel about ourselves, and self-efficacy, which is the confidence or the belief that you have in your ability. And so the most important part uh, of this idea of, of social cognitive theory is self-efficacy because it taught us not only how to think about confidence with golfers, uh, but why they lose it, when they lose it, how to get it back when you lose it, what to look for. And so that's what really enabled my career to be what it was, is that I had such a comprehensive understanding of, of what confidence is and how to help athletes you know, get it back. And then once they have it, how to maintain it. Because, because in the game of golf, it really matters. Like confidence is is immensely important to golfers, right? There's, there's a relationship between confidence and, and anxiety, meaning the more confident a golfer is, the less anxious they are. It, it, it affects perception. The hole looks bigger. The fairway looks wider. Um, it affects uh, our ability to feel the golf swing. Like, like confidence influences so many parts of the golf game that it's vitally important for golfers. And, and since we have an understanding of it, it really helped us you know, help golfers. I think that's relatable all the way down to, you know, me or you or your average uh, amateur golfer playing on a weekend. It seems like personally, when I know that I have a, a swing thought or, or something, something seems to be working and that translates to being confident when I stand over the ball, everything changes versus when you know you have no idea what is going to happen on a certain shot or, or that's what you tell yourself, at least you're, you're lost. And, you know, it's very difficult to, to climb out of that hole and, and up until you trick yourself into thinking you figured yourself, figured it out again. Um, at least for me, I sometimes wrap my mind into mental pretzels. Um, yeah, no, that's everybody. The game does that, right? That's, yeah. You know, I've, I've never had a golfer call me with the complaint that they're keeping it too simple. Like no golfers ever called me and said, Hey, I don't have enough thoughts in my head. It's, right. you know, the game bullies us into always overthinking things and paralysis through over analysis and, and so forth. So, you know, the way you're experiencing it, Al, is the way everybody experiences it. That's, that's just the nature of the game. So where do you start? Like when, once you, you start working with, We'll, we'll say Justin Rose or another professional golfer, something like that. Um, obviously, everyone is individual and, and has their own way they approach the game of golf. But, but where do you start 
in particular with a golf client to, to kind of analyze, you know, where he's at and, and how he can improve his mental game. Right. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's comprehensive analysis because, you know, the reality is everybody is different, right? Every human being is different. And in as much as, as, you know, we have these basic understandings uh, in psychology, you have to understand an individual's motivations, an individual's habits and tendencies, uh, both behaviorally and psychologically. So the, the, the beginning is, is with an, an assessment, and usually it, it evolves into a really important question. And if, if you ever read my first book, it's called Fearless Golf. You know, the second chapter of Fearless Golf talks about mastery versus ego. And it asks golfers to ask the question, why do you play golf? And this is such a powerful question because it leads to, you know, you determining whether you're a mastery golfer or an ego golfer. And, and this concept was so powerful. It is the concept that on some level helped unlock Justin Rose's career. He went 10 years on the PGA Tour with no wins. And once he understood you know, his, his own answer to why do you play golf, he won two weeks later and then two weeks after that. And, and it really helped unlock his potential. But also Jack Nicklaus. Jack Nicklaus was doing, uh, after I explained this to Jack Nicklaus back in 2002, he was on ESPN doing a fishing show. And he said, oh, I'm not catching anything, but it doesn't matter. I'm a mastery fisherman. And so, you know, that concept of mastery golf, which begins with the question, why do you play golf? It's a question that I ask all of my clients. It's, it's really part of the, initial, um, of the initial assessment process that we need to know what your motivation is. Why, why do you play golf? And, and once we can get clarity on that, we generally do a pretty good job of, of, of getting golfers better. You mentioned fearless golf, and I know um, that's the term you've coined your, your process, the fearless process, and you also have the, uh, the fearless golf academy. Can you talk to us a little bit about what, what that is and what you do in those one-day sessions? Yeah, so if anyone ever wants to work with, with uh, Ina Kim or I, you know, she's my colleague, and, and we team up on all of our clients, it's, it's the, the opening process has to be the same. In other words, I don't, we don't work with anyone until they come and spend a day with us and do this, this Fearless Golf Academy, and that's not us being stubborn. It's, it's because it works, you know, golfers, even PGA tour golfers over the years have called me and said, Hey, let's talk. And I'm like, well, listen, I, I can't, I can't help you until you come spend this day with me because the, 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 this fearless golf Academy, because the day is what sets the table. It gives us a common language. We discuss social cognitive theory, we discuss self-efficacy. We, we get to your why. And so many things happen in this deep immersive day. Uh, in the Fearless Golf Academy. And we host them either in Winter Park, Florida, uh, sometimes down in South Florida, um, or, or if I happen to be on the road with the PGA Tour, we'll host them remotely. Um, and it's a really powerful day. It's, it's, there are times, I'll tell you, that golfers have come in and, and done the Fearless Golf Academy, and they go out and they win the next week. And so there's really no need you know, for, for ongoing work. It's, it's, the day is designed to unlock your potential and, and be a transformative experience. And it really is a transformative experience. It's, it's something I'm, uh, I'm very proud of. Well, I used to live in winter park. So if I'm ever in the area, I might look to schedule a session. Uh, <laughs> Come but, on. Yeah. So I know you work with, you work with other athletes, you work with other sports organizations. I know you, 
you worked with the Buffalo Bills and they've had a lot of recent success. You also worked with uh, executives and 0.72 asset management. So investors and portfolio managers. Um, how does the process differ when you're, when you're looking at someone in a different sport or, or outside of sports? How does your your process differ, or does it at all? Is it kind of the same? Well, it it does, but but it's, there's a lot of similarities too. You know, participating in the in the stock market, the financial markets, is psychologically a lot like golf because what happens is, you know, everyone has a process, just like with golf. You know, these these investors have processes, and you can do everything right, but sometimes by no fault of your own, you know, you're losing money. It's the equivalent of you know, a wind hitting your golf ball or getting a bad bounce or a bad break. And so what happens is the psychology of it is whenever our results are influenced by variables over which we have no control, right? Whether it's the wind or the variables on the golf course and the variables in the markets, that that's a particular type of psychological challenge. So the psychology between golf and investing is very similar. So it, it did not take a lot for me to you know, to, to sort of migrate into uh, working in the hedge fund industry after 15 years on the PGA Tour because on some psychological level, uh, they're playing the same game. Yeah, that's. I think that's something maybe that a lot of people struggle with is things outside of their control. Is it about letting go of things you can't control or adapting to circumstances or both? Both, right? It's it's situational. It depends on the personality type. But but at the end of the day, you know, it's you know, it's the sort of the old stoic idea that the first thing you do is you have to make a list of the things you can control and the things you cannot control and be largely detached from the things you cannot control. If you spend your time, you know, manically trying to 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 influence things over which you have no control, that is not a good use of your time. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, it's, it's not going to lead to good outcomes. So yeah, it's, you know, part of the thing is when, when you're doing everything right and you're not getting paid or even in golf, you're doing everything right. You're hitting a lot of good shots and you're not getting rewarded. You know, there's a, there's a predictable set of consequences. You lose your patience. You start to panic. You start to push, you increase your risk taking, um, on good golf courses that gets punished in hard markets that gets punished. Another reason why confidence matters is because it affects risk, risk taking and so forth. So there's, there's, you know, all of these, um, all of these variables uh, that, that, that can knock score around, which is why, you know, sports psychology has identified and, and is really sort of, you know, the signature hallmark of good sports psychology is we've started putting processes in place with athletes and investors and making people religious about their process. And that's, that's just a win for sports psychology. And now it's cliche, but it wasn't always cliche. You know, there was a period of time where everyone was chasing results, 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 and short-term results. And, and we know now that uh, chasing short-term results is a recipe for, um, you know, for, for, for diminishing performance, certainly not, not enhancing performance. So if you had to give, you know, two or three simple exercises or thoughts to your average everyday golfer, um, something that could help improve them or, or at least take a different perspective about their, their mental game and their mental process. Are there some simple things that, that anyone can do uh, to improve 
uh, we we just talked about the short term is is kind of an ineffective way of looking at it, but uh, to start improving their mental game and and hopefully continue that process moving forward. Yeah, well, you know, one of the most important things we know that you know the golf game, that the game of golf does not attack the golf swing; it attacks tension, tempo, and reaction, and then the golf swing falls apart. So the number one rule at fearless golf is, you know, we, we play golf with good tempo and rhythm because we know that the variability of the game makes us quick. It makes us tight. And then the golf swing falls apart. So we actually manage the things that protect the golf swing, right? That's, that's number one. Number two is have a target, like in the absence of, of anything else, make sure that you always have a target. And then what we're always trying to do, you know, is we always say to our golfers, you make fearless swings, at precise targets, fearless swings at precise targets. And so we, we look at a round of golf, you know, as between, you know, 65 and 75 individual, you know, routines, what we call the fearless golf routine, the fearless golf routine, you call it 20 seconds of greatness. And then what happens is in that 20 seconds, you're protecting your rhythm, you're picking a target and you're making a fearless swing at that target. And once you do that, that routine is over it's on to the next routine. And so we don't chase short-term results. We don't chase score. We're trying to lay down really good processes and and deploying the fearless golf routine. And what we found over time um, is golfers who stick to the process, you know, pick, pick a target, make a fearless swing at that target, detach or let go of the results because we cannot control short-term results. So we let go of the results and get back into the process, we know that it's like the back of a shampoo bottle, right? Lather, wash, rinse, repeat. That when we get golfers doing this process, that in aggregate, the results, um, you know, almost always improve. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, do you ever find yourself, when you personally are on the golf course, do you, do you ever find yourself just forgetting the process? And then having to snap back into it, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah okay. I got to remember. This. I mean, occasionally, right? Because <laughs> because everything in golf draws our attention to results, right? It's, you make a birdie. I want to talk about your birdie. You make an eagle. You make a quad. So everything in golf, that's why it's so hard for people to play golf at a consistently high level, is because there's an over-amplification on short-term results. So it's easy for any human being to think about short-term results, even me. But the nice thing about our routine is, you know, once we catch ourselves, it's boom, right? You default right back into the process. But listen, I've played golf with Jack Nicklaus. I've played golf with Tiger Woods. I've played golf with, with almost every PGA Tour player you could think of. And, and I am fans of these guys. I'm not just a, a clinician. Like, I love the game of golf. And so it's easy to get distracted and get out of your game and you want to impress people and you want them to think you're good. And the nice thing about the fearless golf routine is it's okay. I know what to do with, with this moment. Don't, don't play golf to impress somebody else. Don't play golf for a score. Just get into your routine, pick your target, make a fearless swing, wash, rinse, repeat. And, and if you do a good job of that, it protects our confidence and, and generally gets the best out of us. His name is Dr. Gio Valianti. Uh, Gio, where can anyone who's listening to this find you and find more information about uh, your work and fearless golf. They can go to www.fearlessgolf.com. 
Perfect. Well, I appreciate you taking the time this morning. Uh, I'm going to save this and have it on repeat the next time I'm on the driving range getting ready for a round. <laughs> so this was more for me than it was for anyone else. But uh, That's awesome, I, Al. I really appreciate it. Take care and, and, and keep up the good work. Thanks, young man. Best of luck with your career. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you, you too.